The division between fathers and their children, spiritually and in every other way, equals the conditions for pain and the curse of sin. But unity, spiritual health, and faithfulness between children and their fathers, that equals the conditions for blessing, righteousness, and revival in our nation. Welcome to the New Life Church Podcast, where we dive deep into the timeless truths of the Bible. My name is Jake, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be your host. In each of these episodes, we'll unpack the richness of the scriptures, exploring how its teachings can bring new life and meaning to our everyday existence. Get ready to be inspired, challenged, and uplifted as we navigate the profound wisdom of the Bible together. This is a place where faith meets daily life. This is New Life Church. Today, I'm going to talk about the fault lines of fatherhood. Okay, uh, do we have that picture of the uh, the pasture? You have the pasture, you have the sheep, which of course there's spiritual connotations too, and, I, and that was not lost on me. But you also have this huge rift, this 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 breaking of what are actually the tectonic plates underneath, or or you know, seismic activity. Those I learned those words just for you. Somebody say thank you, amen. All right, yeah. So seismic activity, which is the breaking apart beneath the surface, um, which manifests in a visible fault line at the uh, you know that we can see from where we are. But there are, and we go back to our other one, there are spiritual fault lines, fault lines in people, fault lines in ministries and marriages, fault lines in culture. And today, I want to challenge you about the fault lines in fatherhood, because it is my heart to encourage the young men, the fathers in the house, to raise up spiritual children as well as physical children to do exploits unto God and to cause those faults to be healed and break off generational pain, generational woundedness, generational curses in Jesus' name and heal the rifts because honestly, until God gets his church right, the nation sure won't get right. And I'll tell you this, until God gets his men right, the church won't get right. God wants the families to get right. God wants the mamas to get right. Somebody say amen. But we, we got to get the men right. I got to get me right, starting with me. Uh, this nation is overmothered and underfathered. Amen. Now, don't take that as, you know, if you're a single mom, yeah, God bless you. You've had to do both. You've had, you've had to be stretched beyond imagination. However, I think you can agree with me. Don't you wish you'd had some support more than maybe you did? Don't you wish to had some help? Don't you wish you had somebody who would step in and not make you have to be the good guy, the bad guy, the everybody guy, and then please everybody all the time, right? So if anybody is going to not be offended by how hard I teach today, it's going to be people who have had to stretch themselves, had to break themselves, and had to see the problems whenever God's way and God's word, God's will was not fulfilled in families. Is that fair? I think it's fair. I know it's fair. I would submit to you that the biggest fault line in this nation and in our society beyond the lack of Jesus is a lack of real fathers. Men of God. Amen. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6 says, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now, this is a really awesome passage, and there's a whole lot of prophetic double reference, but I like this verse because it sets the stage for some understanding. When the relationship and the tension between fathers and sons and daughters 
is not right, then the nation suffers. Now, we can absolutely get that uh, exegetically from this passage. Like, okay, these things are commensurate. The brokenness of the nation, the brokenness of the community, the brokenness of the family is whenever there's brokenness in these areas, and it's enough for him to highlight it and mention it. So this is what I take away from that. The division between fathers and their children, spiritually and in every other way, equals the conditions for pain and the curse of sin. It doesn't make it happen. It doesn't define it. It's not direct causality, but it's really good conditions, right? Conditions are perfect when there's brokenness. But unity, spiritual health, and faithfulness between children and their fathers, that equals the conditions for blessing, righteousness, and revival in our nation. You know that the United States owns 30% of the wealth of the world. And that doesn't sound maybe like it's that much until you realize that we only have 4% of the people in the world. And it's distributed over that small of a tranche of population. Like, oh, we, we do, we are, we, we do pretty good. It is easier to join the middle class in the U.S. than anywhere else. And it is also too easier to become wealthy in the U.S. than anywhere else. The USA has the most millionaires in the world. 24,480. We have the most billionaires in the world in the United States. 724 billionaires we have in this country. But I have to um, submit this to you. We, ha we have infinitely higher rates of fatherlessness in our country. Matter of fact, three times the world global average of fatherlessness. And so here's the paradigm I have to give you. If you want to make money... You couldn't be born at a better place or a better time. And if you want to have a father, you're in the worst place in the world. And so young men, no matter what your relationship, whether you had one or not, what are you going to do, though? How are you going to treat the woman that God brings into your life? How are you going to treat the children that God gives you? Will you stand? When the spark is faded and you've had the same argument again and again and again, and you're, and, and you're tired, and no matter what you do, it doesn't seem good enough. Whenever it is harder than you thought that it would ever be, and no matter what, you're good enough is never good enough, and you got too much month at the end of your money. I don't want to know if you can go out on a nice day. I don't care. Nobody cares if you're a romantic. Will you stand? Will you stay? And will you lead? When you feel like you don't have anything in you or any place to go, will you follow God's word? I'm not talking just about what you thought I was. I'm talking to the future. And I want to say to those you know who grew up in trauma or with a you know an absent or abusive or non-existent father or a father that you lost, they will tell you the people that I'm trying to teach. Um, they will stand with me and tell you. That if a godly and strong father had deposited wealth, good memories, healthy relationships, and godly confidence into the home, you'd be in a better place, wouldn't you? It'd be easier. Now, God is still able to work in any situation, and he does. But I'm talking about the future, and we can't talk about the future and how it can be better if we won't address the faults of the past. Now, I want to I lean back into it. Let's talk about the fault line of fatherlessness. 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless. So, Mom, if you got that boy and that girl, whoever is through high school, then we are thankful for the grace of God because you've done good. 
better than most. 85% of children with serious mental health and behavioral disorders are fatherless. I said 85%. 90% of homeless or runaway children are fatherless. And this one is the hardest. 70% of trafficked children are from fatherless homes. There is an epidemic. There is a famine of fathers in the nation. And you're going to have to step up, men. We're going to have to step up and be present and be intentional, not just for our own, but for the others around us that God brings into our life and brings into our, uh, our circle of influence. We have got to stand up, and this is where we're going to win it or lose it for the culture. Amen. Because there's hope. I said there's hope for the children, for the generations, and God wants to move in this nation. He wants to move in families. He wants to move in men of God and raise them up to do exploits. So, 1 Corinthians 4, 15 through 17. Actually, and I'm going to add one more. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. Picking up in verse 15 now. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Now, that's an interesting thing. Imitate me. Who's he think he is? Now, but if you go in, on into the Corinthian letter, he'll explain that and bring, uh, bring context to it. He'll say, follow me as I follow Christ. So he'll bring context to it, and it's important that I do as well. He says, imitate me. For this reason, I've sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved son and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Amen. So I want to instruct. There are four things about spiritual fathers. And, and let, me, let me encourage you in this. If you want one, God will put one in your life. Now, he may be not exactly who you might have chosen. He may not be the exact say, and he definitely won't say what you want to hear because what you want to hear is not going to be what you need to hear. Amen. But we have to avail ourselves of those relationships. And as a natural, physical son, um, they kind of get stuck under headship, right? But as a, a spiritual son, we have to choose to come under headship, right? We have to choose to come under influence and allow somebody to be a steward, a mentor, and a spiritual leader in our life. We have to submit ourselves to that um, because you, you have your own choice. They don't have the right uh, in the same natural sense, but they have the goods. It'll be the person that God has placed in your life. And I want to tell you today, if you will be intentional and you will prioritize God and you'll pray, God will place a spiritual father in your life. So first thing that spiritual fathers do, they assert their biblical authority and responsibility. We got a nation of bros, of buddies and friends, and not many fathers. We got 10,000 bros and not many fathers. And that's, that, that's what I'm learning. See, so we're taking this text verse, and we're going to say that from this, Paul asserts his biblical authority. He said, I'm your spiritual father. Now, for me, I'm not like the most aggressive guy, or even always the most assertive, although moderately so. Um, amen. My wife's gone. Um, I'm moderately assertive, but Paul, said, Paul has no problem writing to the Corinthian church, which he has, God has called him to plant, to start, to take authority over, and to lead, and to shape, and to teach the Word of God. So he hears that they're doing some weird stuff, you know, some gross, sinful stuff. And so he starts writing them letters to say, hey, I'm your spiritual father. And I'm calling you to account on some of this stuff. Some of the gross, weird stuff I'm hearing, sinners don't even do it. You're killing me. And stop, right? That's what he says. And he says, some of you, and some of you are getting real Pentecostal, and that's great. And I, and I, and I speak in tongues more than y'all. And some of you are being weird. 
And I need to put some things in place and some limitations in the Corinthian letters. And you say, because you're going nuts. And like you're, and you're, you're getting in your feelings and you're, and you're, everybody has a tongue. Everybody has a prophecy. Everybody has everything all the time. Get some order and do, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a blueprint of how to function in the spirit because he's doing the work of a spiritual father. He's not letting them just go nuts. <laughs> you know, not letting the monkeys run the zoo. He's like, there are some sin and there's some learning, some teaching that I need to do. And I can do it and I will do it because God has placed me in a position of spiritual fatherhood and he's assertive. He's strong. He goes, he does not say, well, maybe you shouldn't sleep with everybody. He says, it's gross and it's weird and not even the, the sinners are doing this. And I can't believe I'm hearing it from you. Stop. We need fathers. He's a spiritual father. Biblical fathers assert their God-given authority. I want to thank uh, you know, some of the material messages I heard, Dr. Stuart Patico and Pastor Darren uh, Manzoni, and some of the um, things that the way they worded I liked. And so certainly want to give honor where honors do. Amen. Paul differentiates himself from many other well-wishers, from friends, and even from Bible teachers and said, I'm, I'm a father. He, he really does. He said, I, you got 10,000 teachers. You got buddies. You got, you got, you got podcasters. You got all the stuff. You got, you got lots of stuff. You got, you got, you got shorts. You got all this stuff. Uh, you know, you got reels. We got one of the other things, TikToks. God have mercy. Um, you got, you got a lot. You got a lot of TikTokers. You don't have any fathers. They got a lot of people telling you what you want to hear. We got a lot of people telling you that you're just every gross and weird and, and unhealthy and toxic thing that you do is somebody else's fault. And, and it's who you are and it's what you, and you can lean into those tendencies and we'll rewrite all of history, all of biology, all of reality around your perversion. We got a lot of that. We got a lot of well wishes. We got a lot of teachers. We got people trying to teach everything. We got, uh, we, we got, we got bloggers. Oh, we got bloggers. We don't got fathers. Men of God called to be assertive and teach God's word without backing down and take spiritual authority and love. I'm not talking about being super controlling over everybody. I'm talking about functioning in the God-given role that you're given. Fathers ought not be controlling. The Bible teaches clearly about that. But as a father, you have some prerogatives that are your job, and you're supposed to steward those roles and rules in your home. Amen? And, and to anybody where you can apply that. Amen. Paul differentiates himself, and it's important to have friends, but it's imperative to have fathers. Now, a little quick teaching. There is a difference between assertive and controlling men who are fathers, assertive and controlling. Um, assertive means they are passionate about doing what they're supposed to do and what's in their purview to do. Controlling people, they want to do everything all the time and control stuff that's not their business, not their place, and they're overstepping those bounds, right? Uh, th those are the controllers. That's not good. To be assertive means this is my job. This is what God told me to do. This is, this is my thing, and I will do it. And I don't care if all of hell comes against me, and I don't care who likes it. God said to stand on this, to teach this, to protect this, to hold fast this line, to enforce godliness in these areas. And God said it, and I will do it no matter what. No matter who comes against me, no matter if culture tells me I'm a terrible, horrible person, no matter if they, you know, what happens, I will stand where God told me to stand and I won't move. That's being assertive. Being controlling is I'm going to do everything all the time and jump into other people's purview, other people's business, other people's families, right? There are controlling pastors. There are controlling leaders. There are controlling husbands. There are controlling fathers who just love because it's, a, it's an ego thing. It's a control thing. It's a power trip, right? And God rebukes that. 
while he commands and encourages you to be a biblical father and to do what you're supposed to do and to stand with courage. Controlling men try to take dominion over what is not their personal, spiritual, or professional purview. They don't be minding their business. A better way to say that? You like that better? Okay. Assertive men take dominion only over what God called them to do and charged them to do. Like the end, the end of the assertive man's tether, who's biblical, is what God told him to do and what God has placed in his charge. The, the controlling one has no limits. He, he controlled the weather if he, if he could. Jesus was assertive. You know, we, don't, we don't think about this all the time. Jesus was. Anything that was, he would cast out demons, uh, he would rebuke. He'll, he'll, he'll tell Peter, get behind me, Satan. And, and when his mama tried to control him and tell him what to do exactly at the right time, you know, he, he, does, he says, no, that, that's not how it's going to be. I'm going to do what I'm called to do when I'm called to do it like that. I'm, I'm outside of that purview. I'm not being disrespectful or rude, but I'm going to do what I'm supposed to. I'm going to have to do what my father says. Jesus was assertive. You don't think Jesus was assertive? You, you think he was, a, he was this sissy, limp-wristed version that you see in the frescoes of the 16 and 1500s in Italy? It looks like he couldn't stand up straight. Just the, the limpness of the, of the way that he's portrayed. Boo, no. Because the, one of my favorite passages is Jesus walking in, getting irritated at what people are doing in the temple and deadlifting tables and chasing people out with a whip that he braided. Jesus was assertive. But he also had his own limitations. And he actually says at one point in John 15, 9, they were telling him what to do, telling him how to do how to be Jesus. Uh, he said, no, I do what my father tells me to do. I do that so the people of this world can know that I love my father. It was a really good way of phrasing it. And that is the, the, the heart of the message. He, they tell him what to do. He said, no, I don't do what I want. I don't do what you want. I don't do what society wants. And I sure don't, I don't even do what anybody wants except for my father. I follow him. I do what my Father, God in heaven, tells me to do. And what he tells me is mine, is mine, and can't nobody take it from me. What he tells me to say, I say, and no one will rebuke it, and then overcome me. What God tells me to raise up and to protect and to fight for and to serve and how to serve what God tells me to through his holy scriptures, I will do by the grace of God. Spiritual fathers assert their biblical authority and responsibility. We see this. He, he, the Apostle Paul, like I said, he calls them up via a letter and says, I am qualified to say this to you, and I am. I care about you. I love you, and you know I love you. This is wrong. This is sin. You're destroying your church, and you're destroying your families. You're destroying yourself, and I come against it, and you don't have you got a lot of teachers, but you only have a very few spiritual fathers, and I'm not afraid of that mantle, and I'm not going to be a sissy about it. I'm going to stand in what God called me to. Amen. Spiritual fathers teach by word and example. Paul instructs his spiritual children to imitate him. Now, as I told you, if you look on through the, the Corinthian letters, you see he, he qualifies it by saying, follow me as I follow Christ. I mean, you know, it, it's not the you know, imatio Paul. Like, you know, it's the imitation of Paul imitating Christ. That's not a prideful thing, right? I'll tell you why. Because that's terrifying. It, it, sound, it might sound like it's cocky or like it's prideful or like, oh, you do, do what I do. I'm perfect. That is a horrifyingly scary thing to say because you got to be living it. I want to cut myself out of the equation. I just, no, just follow Christ. Like, it's a mess over here right now. <laughs> like, don't do that. Like, just follow Jesus. But Paul, because he loves and because he's following after God, he said, I am not even ashamed to say, do what I'm doing because I'm doing right. And I hold myself accountable to you to do that. That's a lot of courage. 
And you got to be committed as a spiritual father if you're willing to say, follow me as I follow Christ because I'm committed to doing right and being an example for you. Being an example to teach and lead by word and deed. Now, our spiritual authority only goes as far as the word of God. It doesn't go into personal things. It doesn't go into all that. In saying this, Paul is taking on the burden and responsibility of leading by example, not just by position. Now, spiritual fathers invest. Paul sends Timothy, who he needs and counts on, to help him because he loves the church at Corinth. So Paul is not one of these fly-by-night guys, right? Who just, you know, have some advice and expects you to do it and then kind of just wanders off and does, you know, like just, he, he talks a big talk, but he's not around. He sends Timothy, who he needs, who means a lot to him and, and who is his helper. And he's getting old. His body is tore up and, and he needs a helper in the journey. But he said, you know what? I cannot let those good people flounder. I can't let my other children, you know, Timothy, you're a powerful and, and awesome guy. You're a blessing to me. You're a help to me in the ministry, but I need you to go to help them. Because Paul is invested in the church growing. He is invested in the teaching of the word of God and getting things straightened out. He said, I'm not just a father who just tells you what to do and even just you know, leads by a good example. I will invest in your lives and in the church. I'm going to send Timothy. He's my boy. He is my spiritual son. Nobody was closer to Paul than Timothy. He calls him a spiritual son uh, in the Lord, and he travels with him. That's his main guy. Jesus was the son sent from a father who loves us that we might be drawn nigh to him. Nobody's invested any more than you than your holy heavenly father who sent his only begotten son. But Paul, in a work of imitation, sends his spiritually begotten son in the ministry because spiritual fathers invest. Paul has spent time, he has worked, he has invested, he has trained and taught for nearly two years to make sure that the church had what it needed to grow and thrive. That's our job, men. It's our job to make sure that our family is blessed. And that means Paul worked with his hands. He worked in the word. He taught. He led. He engaged. He had hard conversations. He did everything that he could to make sure things went right for them because he loved them because he's a spiritual father. Spiritual fathers invest in their spiritual children. Now, lastly, spiritual fathers sacrifice. Real fathers sacrifice for their families. You might ask, what gives Paul the right to father anybody? Now, I want to do some important teaching right here because the authority of the Holy Spirit and God's word, God's plan, God's anointing, that's actually what gave him the authority. It's not his performance as a father that gives him authority. It's actually not your performance in the house or in the home that gives you any kind of authority. No, it's God. It's biblical headship. It's a covering that he said, I don't care if you want to or not. I don't care if you would rather uh, you just kind of slink off into the background, be a chicken, and then submit your duties to your wife. You won't if you're going to follow me. I don't care if you want to um, jettison and, 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 and surrender your, your, your purview, your biblical calling to the government, which happens in this country. Let the government raise my family. You know, let them set the stage. They can tell me how to discipline. They can tell me uh, what to do, how to feed. You know, they can tell me about their medical care. They can tell me everything. They can tell me about how to, how, how to engage with them. And, and, and the government can tell me how to interact with my children. Cowardly father said, well, yeah, good. Glad somebody did. Raise my kids. Abuse them. Submit them to you. I got no opinion. What do I know? I'm, I'm just a man. 
We're in a culture where a man needs to be quiet and stand off to the side and have no opinion. Sit there and be quiet in the corner and wear a pink hat and let us abuse your children. Let us send these perverts right into the bathroom with them. And don't you say nothing. You stay there in the corner. If the kid wants us, after we've warped his mind to where he thinks that he's, he's a girl, you sit there and you shut him, you stand in the corner, and you let us do surgery on him. You stand over there. You be quiet. But real fathers, they sacrifice for their children. And they'll not touch our kids. Amen. I know that seems hyper-aggressive. They'll not do it over our dead bodies. Real fathers are not afraid of conflict when it comes to the abuse of their families. Real fathers, now stand up. And I don't care if you had a real father or not, what are you going to be? What are you going to do? What are you going to stand on? So let me tell you this about Paul. Real fathers sacrifice for their family. What gives Paul the right to father is not his performance. It is the word of God, the spirit of God. It is the, the job of, of him, right, that he's been given. Just like for us, it's the same thing. If, if you make it about someone's performance and they're allowed to speak in your life because their performance, not because of God-given authority in scripture, then whenever they goof up, they'll tear down everything that it should have been God building, right? You know, they'll, they'll tear out the roots with them as they go because they're, they fail. So you don't base it, you base it on thus saith the Lord because that'll last and stand the test of time. But I also want to tell you, it is a lot easier to be fathered by a dad who sweats, bleeds, and fights for you. What Paul did, he did for his father, who was God, and his Savior, Jesus Christ. But I don't think that you can disentangle that with the spiritual children God told him to lead, to bring forward into the kingdom. And so when he calls them up and says, you guys, you got a lot of, you got a lot of TikTokers, you got a lot of bloggers, right? A lot of, a lot of, a lot of Sunday morning preachers but you don't have very many fathers. And I'm going to assert myself into the biblical role that God gave me, and I'm gonna do it. In a world that often tugs fathers towards passivity and cowardice, let us call back to the biblical blueprint. Remember that the scriptures summon men not to dominate, but to lead with strength and assertiveness. The dichotomy between the cultural narrative and the biblical call is stark. But the challenge is clear, to rise above societal norms and embrace the godly model of fatherhood. The Apostle Paul's words echo through the ages, emphasizing the significance of fatherhood in the home and in the church. Stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, and let all that you do be done with love. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the New Life Church Podcast. We are truly grateful for each and every one of our listeners, so thank you. For a full transcription of today's sermon and more resources, head over to our website at newlifechurchspringfield.com. I can't wait to dive into the next episode with you. Until then, stay connected, stay inspired, and God bless. See you next time.